the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Galatians 5 concludes verse 25 and 26. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Well, we welcome you to Exploring the Word. And uh, speaking of being in step with the Spirit, as Galatians 5.25 says, uh, Bert and I are here to go through Galatians with you and take your calls. But Bert, uh, being in step with the Spirit, today is a banner day, a historic day, in my opinion, with the American Family Association Folks, I wish you could have seen it just a couple of hours ago. There was the dedication of a brand-new building, the Don Wildman Center for Cultural Transformation, and I feel incredibly privileged to have been there. You prayed. A number of people spoke, like uh, Tim Wildman spoke and Walker and Wesley. Buddy Smith spoke. Uh, Also, during a very special luncheon, Tony Perkins of the uh, Family Research Council spoke. But what what a privilege, and Bert, you've been here a long time, as this brand-new world-class facility is dedicated to the work of the American Family Association. The founder of the ministry uh, was there, Dr. Don Wildman. Uh, what a God-ordained day of history for this ministry. It was, and it was just privileged to be here, much less to be a part of that. And uh, the ones who spoke, besides the family, uh, Buddy Smith, uh, Mike Murphy, our longtime friends of Brother Don's. Yeah. And the, the governor of Mississippi yes, spoke by Peyton video. Reeves by video. It was very personal, too. That was in, in real. It was very, in, very it was. good, godly message. And so but one of the things that really touched me was Tony Perkins in talking about what had happened to AFR, AFA, is the transition. With Don being there and Tim, our present president, being there, the transition that was made without a hiccup. And he talked about that. And you and I know many ministries, uh, even churches, the transition from one leader to another leader can be very, very difficult. Here at AFR, AFA, Brother Don had done such a great job of serving. His whole idea was serving others. He said, it's not about me. And uh, it was able to transition, and Tim has continued the present leadership still on target with America, the evangelism that needs to take place, the cultural education and activism that needs to take place. And it was awesome to remember where we where we came from and where we are, and we're still on target. It Amen. was a great day. It really was. Well, and folks, if you're just tuning in, this is Exploring the Word with Bert and Alex, and we're going to get to Galatians, plus take your calls and Bible questions. But, you know, I just want to say a word of how special it is to see what God is doing. And listen, we give God the glory. We give God the glory. But one of the speakers today at the dedication of the uh, Don Wildman Center for Cultural Transformation, which, by the way, praise God, the building was was christened today, debt-free, put into use. But uh, Tony Perkins mentioned what he called the Mount Rushmore (laughs) of leaders in the last few years. And what's very interesting, uh, in the late 1970s, we saw God raise up uh, Dr. Jerry Falwell, 
founder of Liberty University, Dr. James Dobson, for whom I worked, the founder of Focus on the Family, Phyllis Schlafly, uh, Chuck Colson, who was a close personal friend of mine, he really was, Dr. D. James Kennedy, and uh, there, there were others, um, most all of whom have gone on to be with the Lord. But you know what's such a blessing and how I love and respect all of those people. But the, the leader for Christ still here with us and the ministry stronger than ever, stronger than ever, reaching farther than ever, impacting our world more significantly than ever, uh, Don Wildman. And the American Family Association. I mean, this is really significant, isn't it? It is. What Tony Perkins was referring to, he became president of FDR. Uh, FRC. Our, Fem- yeah, Family yeah, Research yeah, Council. Yeah. FDR, I went back in president uh, population there. I do that sometimes. <laughs> I, I'm but, with you. I yeah, know but you. he walked in, and he said, here, he was fresh, just new, coming out of Louisiana, and he was meeting with what was called the Arlington Group. It yeah. was the group of those leaders that you referred to meeting together and just praying, praying for and okay. seeking what, and Don was president of that group, Don Wildman, oh, yeah. never seeking the limelight, never wanting to have it. And he, and Tony was finally elected vice president of that group. And right. uh, he said he learned so much serving with Don. And one of the things he learned was putting others before yourself. Amen. And uh, that is that is what AFR, we want to be that way. We're trying to strengthen the churches. Uh, we don't want to take away from the ministry of the local church. Uh, we're not in competition with other ministries. We aid other ministries, like Eight Days oh, of Hope. Stephen Tiber was yeah, here yeah, today. He helped launch that, you know. Yeah. And we heard stories after story about AFR and AFA, how Brother Don and so so much has helped those ministries either start or grow. And yes. that's and we still want to do that today. We don't want to stop doing that, Alex. We're going to do our best to keep on doing that, brother. Well, and and let me say, many of you are going to understand what I'm about to say. But for those that you know, maybe you haven't been around as long as us. Bert, I'm I'm 58, and I remember the 1970s. It seemed like there was a change in the air, and people like Don Wildman and Chuck Colson, um, and People like my parents that were very, you know, godly parents, but very culturally engaged. Look, the reason this ministry was raised up and and other ministries, like why Dr. Dobson did all that he did, a lot of people 40, 45 years ago, they sensed that we were losing our moral compass. As a nation, morally, culturally, spiritually, we were drifting. Um, Things come along like abortion on demand. No legal protection for the unborn. People understood that life was cheapened. Uh, entertainment became more violent. And, you know, killing on, for, on screen as entertainment, a lot of the music and the sitcoms became just uh, very vile and very, you know, profane. So Don Wildman and others said, look, uh, we're, we're going to lose our, our spiritual DNA as a country. Yes, of course, it is the gospel. Uh, Every soul needs Jesus Christ, but also it's our moral compass. Because look, folks, um, every law that's ever passed has some sort of moral DNA in it. Um, What's taught in the classroom, the content of classroom and college degrees, there are some worldview implications of everything. 
And they knew uh, Don Wildman and his peers, um, Dr. Falwell, Adrian Rogers, Bill Bright, James Kennedy, Chuck Colson, Dobson, Billy Graham. They understood what many of us nowadays need to be reminded of, that, look, what made this nation great, uh, it, it wasn't just that we have this beautiful landscape called the USA. It's not because of money or business or economics. What made this country great was our moral and spiritual foundation, and at the core of that were two things, the church and the family. Now, what we're trying to do, and while we talk about cultural transformation, we are a champion, we love, we are passionate about the church and the family because those two entities make a nation great. I'm going to say this, and I want your response, then we'll get to Galatians, but look, a nation rises or falls based on the state of the family and the state of the church. That's why Satan hates the family. He hates the church because those are barriers for him to operate in his destruction, death, I mean in stealing. And so that's why AFR, AFA, we stand strong and we desire to do that. We want to stand in love. We want to stand, uh, it, you know, we want to be kind. It, the Bible says be kind one to another. Sure. But we don't need to be so kind that we don't speak truth to one another because really in the long run, that's not kindness, yeah. you know. Uh, you, you know, if somebody's about to, to stick their finger in something that would kill them, well, I don't think you should do that. You mm-hmm. know, no, don't do that. Yeah. You know, so we, we're crying out for righteousness and we're crying out for us to follow the Lord. And so Exploring the Word is one of those programs where we say we want the truth to reign supreme. What does that mean? The Word of God. And Alex and I, we, we, we promise each other as best we can, we are going to take the Word and we're going to share it with you as accurately as we can as it was given, kind of like the Constitution. Uh, we have two groups there. They want to take the Constitution as it was given, like the the recent thing that was released by a uh, judge uh, Alito, yeah. that it goes, they said, how awful it goes back to the founding fathers and what the original intent was. Yeah. Oh, you have those. And then they say, Oh no, it's a living document that, oh, it, that it evolves. And this is where we are. Well, the word of God is the word of God. Now, it's not living to change, but it's living because it changes us. Uh, our lives. It changes uh, our lives. Amen. Do, do you know what? Um, sometimes in relation to the Constitution, you'll hear the term originalist. Yes. In other words, we want to know the original intent. Um, there was a phrase you know, many hundreds of years ago uh, called ad fontes, uh, F-O-N-T-E-S, means to the source. Uh, we don't just read a book about uh, Aristotle. Let's read Aristotle. We don't just read a book about the Bible. We read the Bible. And that's what, what we mean, folks, when it comes to the Word of God, when it says, ye must be born again. <laughs> you mean it means it? <laughs> you, it? What that means is you must be born again. Amen. And when it comes to our, our founding documents, and that's why, praise God, we dedicated this building that I, I believe the ministry and the truth and just the convictions of the American Family Association, they are the same convictions that were in the heart and mind of Dr. Don Wildman when he founded this ministry, I believe they'll be, you know, broadcasting the truth of God in his word till Christ returns. But um, we know that when the declaration says that all people are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life 
liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, what a banner day to see this world-class facility dedicated. Uh, the president of AFA, Tim Wildman, cut the ribbon and ceremonially opening the building. So these are exciting times it is. for this ministry. And it's all based, the truth of it is, is a biblical worldview. Yes. And that's what we're trying to do. When we talk about cultural transformation, when we talk about these things, it's having a biblical worldview, and you stand with that. That will introduce us. We don't have but just a minute more in this uh, uh, first segment, but listen to chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass or a fault, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted." Alex, I love this verse. Notice, brethren, he is putting the word on us. Even in that day and in our day, we are brothers in Christ. And if a man is overtaken uh, in a fault, you who are spiritual, be quick to restore him. Run to his aid. Don't put him down. And, and don't try to push him down further. But what? You try to restore such a one, and this word restore has the idea of brokenness and then putting it back. Like mm. I already remember this about a broken bone, that if that broken bone where it was broken, if it heals, it is stronger there than it was before, if it yeah. heals correctly. Listen, a lot of the people that I've met pastoring all, nearly, well, pastoring for over about 40 years, guess what? I've met a lot of people who've re been restored because of something in their life and they brought back. Listen, they're some of the most gracious, loving, strong, courageous Christians in the world. I'm glad God has the ministry of restoration. And we'll be back with more here on Exploring the Word right after the break. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Thousands of books describe different ways to get rich. But Dr. Tony Evans says only one book outlines a surefire path to true riches. He'll talk about the benefits of following those directions as we spend two minutes with Tony. True riches is what God gives that money can't buy. That's true riches. True riches, when money runs out, in other words, it loses its power then you better have something working for you in your storage bin that you can go get because you need some real stuff working for you. When the doctor says we can't help you, you better have some true riches. Just because you bought that house won't make it a home, you better have some true riches. 
You see, there are things in life you can't pay for. There are things in life when your peace erodes you and you need calm in the midst of your storm, you better have some true riches. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, because if you will keep your character free from greed, the Lord will be with you. Ah, let me reverse it. If you want money to be your life, take it. But you'll miss the Lord. You'll miss his presence, his power, his provision. You won't have him. You'll have a great checking account. You'll have a great 401. You'll have a great 403. You'll have great stocks and bonds, but you won't have God when you need him most. So the question is, how rich do you want to be? Discover the practices and priorities that will put God first in every area of your life. Check out Tony's CD series, American Idols, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Colossians 1.13 American Family Radio Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Hallelujah, Jesus Christ. Make much of Jesus. If you're living, make much of Jesus. If you're teaching, make much of Jesus. Preaching, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with all your might and make much of Jesus. I would say that's a great, great theme. We're in Galatians chapter 6. This is Bertie and Alex, and we've been going through this. But Alex, I want to ask you a question. The brethren is easy. To, it's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Christ. And he's been talking about them uh, don't let those people that are legalist, don't let these Judaizers bring you away from Christ. Stay with grace. Don't go with law. And he says, brethren. But then he says, if a man is overtaken in a trespass or a fault, overtaken, uh, Alex, overtaken sounds like something's nipping at your heels yes. or something that is a struggle. It sounds like a little bit of a struggle, doesn't it? Well, you know, the, the word there that's translated overtaken means a, a problem you anticipate. Now, think about this. Very often, we have a blind spot in our life, but maybe a brother that's close to us sees something. It says, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest also you be tempted. Uh, Bert, I've had uh, beloved friends and colleagues in the church, in ministry, that I, I, I saw trouble on the horizon. So when it talks about being overtaken, it means a trouble that you anticipate. I would say um, sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, and if we're listening to the Holy Spirit, we realize if we are drifting. And maybe even today, Bert, somebody's listening to this program and there's, there's your fire for Christ just isn't what it used to be, isn't what it ought to be. And maybe um, right now, lest you be overtaken in a fault or a sin with destructive repercussions, maybe even today, somebody listening, Bert, needs to come back. But um, verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens. That's a very famous saying. We even 
people in all strata of life talk about bearing one another's burdens, says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bert, we've had this question before. People have asked, what is the law of Christ? Galatians 6, 2. And when you read that, it is the law. Isn't it interesting that he would use that word law yeah. when he has been talking about the law being bad? Uh, that was mo- what he was referring to back in, in the other earlier chapters was the law, quote, of Moses. Right. And right. Jesus, is it a separate law? Well, yeah. Uh, the law of Moses was never given in order for a person to be saved. It was given so that we would know how. I always, I, I, people don't bring this up. Yes, it was given for all humanity. But notice, I, I cannot get away from when God gave it. God could have given it to any time. Right. Uh, before Moses, after Moses. But isn't it interesting? He gave it to them right before they were going into the land that God had given them to occupy. He said, this is the way you need to run your country. This is the way you need society to operate, individually, collectively as well. But here, bearing one another's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ. Right. Let me tell you this. Who's our example? Jesus Christ bore our burdens on the cross. The burden of sin, let me ask you. Could you bear your own burden when it comes to sin? No. I could not either. No, not at all. Not at all. So the whole idea is that Jesus is there for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He that thinks he can make it on his own, he's being deceived. Man is not an island. Yeah. Jesus sent them out two by two. He really did. He made male and female. You know, when he made the animals, even when he brought them into the ark, he brought them in by twos. Yeah. And and there's that accountability, but if you think you to be something when you're nothing. Now, I want to ask you, how about thinking yourself nothing after Christ saves you? Uh, I, is there a false humility in that? A false humility? Oh, I can't do that. If you're automatically, when someone asks you to do something, if you're automatically going to say no and not consider it, uh, that's not real humility, is it, Alex? That's, no, it really isn't. And it, we've talked about this before, how Paul, uh, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And there is so much wisdom in that. He didn't He didn't uh, beat himself down for persecuting the church. He didn't vaunt himself up for being the apostle that wrote half the New Testament. I think an accurate assessment of yourself humbly before Christ, trusting in Christ, that's a very healthy thing to do. And you know where it says, let every man examine his own work, verse 4. <laughs> it is. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For, for each one shall bear his own load. Hey, by the way, um, you know it talks about the prodigal son where he came to himself. Early in my Christian walk, uh, we were having a prayer meeting at church, and several prayed for a certain prodigal, a young man that had, you know, wandered away. And I heard an old preacher pray, and I'd never heard this kind of language, but he said, Lord, help him come to the end of himself. See, sometimes we need to realize, I mean, yes, God loves us. Yes, we have value in the eyes of the Savior. But look, apart from Christ, we're nothing. Uh, John fifteen five. apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we are nothing. And sometimes we're having trouble because we've not yet realized that uh, 
we we really have nothing apart from our Savior. So uh, let's not think ourselves to be something, as verse 3 warns. Let's not deceive ourselves, but let's be honest in our analysis that, look, we, we're only alive and uh, this side of the, the, the eternity because of the love of Christ. Everyone examined his own work. In other words, I think repeatedly we have to take inventory of ourselves. Now, verse 5 says, each one shall bear his own load. There's a combined lot of wisdom. Those two yeah. Don't you think verse 4 and 5 are combined? When you, yes. The, sometimes I, the markers that others put in there, uh, I think, are are not helpful. I, I think, let me give you an example, Alex. You were pastoring, and this uh, man comes up to you and says, Pastor, there's somebody that's moved in the street uh, down on my street, just two houses from me. I think it would be great, Pastor, for you to go and visit them. According to what I think verse 4 and 5 is talking about, that's your neighbor. You yeah. should do the visiting. Yeah, the, the, na- neighbor, the man should, yeah. The man. And so don't ask. This is pretty. I think it's talking about this, Alex. Don't ask others to do what you're supposed to do. That's your work. Examine your work yeah. and, and see what God did. Examine your gifts. We've gone over this before, your spiritual shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experience. God uses every one of those. Those are the things you have to bring to the table to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. So it says, bear your own load. A smart pastor would say, uh, well, tell me, after you visited them, what makes you think, yeah. uh, you know, well, I haven't visited them yet. Well, guess what? That's according to what Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 says. You need to do that first, and then let's go together. You hey, catch what I'm saying? Uh, no, let me ask you this, Bert. Is there a verse in the New Testament when it comes to prayer, witnessing, evangelizing, standing strong for the truth? Is there any verse that says, quote, that's what we pay the preacher to do. <laughs> it's not in there. It may be in the book of Hezekiah somewhere. Oh, okay. There, hey, for those, there's no such book. All those that's, that's listening, right. that's a joke. But, but you know, every, like when I read Jude 3, that says that we are to earnestly contend or stand up for the faith once delivered to the saints, that's every believer. Every believer. And Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, let me just say this. If you've ever said, well, our church isn't growing and I don't know why the pastor isn't growing our church. If you've ever had that attitude that we're, we're going to bring in this pastor and then we'll see our church grow. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says God gave pastors, teachers and evangelists for equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, I'm going to make a, a radical thing because here I'm going to make a statement because Galatians 6, 6 and following. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And again, in the spirit of the verse divisions should not break up the thoughts here. Let him who is taught share with the one who teaches. That, I'm going to translate, means pay your preacher. (laughs) It does. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Very famously, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not faint or lose heart. 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, Bert, before we go too far, um, communicating, sharing, supporting your pastor. That's what the Bible says do. Is it the pastor's job to grow the church? Let me, that, I, I, my tendency, no, it's not. It's his job to equip the saints to grow the church as it should grow. Yeah. Did, you've heard this. Over 80% of people who attend a church and join that church do because of friendships within that church and relationships. You know, in other words, the members, the members, have you ever heard, let me put it this way, have you ever heard the best advertisement is a satisfied customer? Yes. So if there's, if I'm a member of, the, of a church somewhere, and man, I am being fed the word of God, they're missional, they're mission, doing mission work at home and abroad, opportunities, there's a great fellowship, and Alex McFarlane and Angie moved to town, and I go and I make friends with uh, with Alex and Angie. I said, man, come to church with me this coming Sunday. And uh, you don't have to say a word about the preacher, but you come and you you are fed the word of God. You find out the mission opportunities are real. You can sense the fellowship that there's not a war going on, but yeah. there's a fellowship going on. Are you likely to attend that church? Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you a story. I just recently got through with, uh, uh, an interim. That's what I do. I do interim. I started a new one at Auburn Baptist Church here around in the Tupelo, Mississippi area. But I finished at First Baptist Ball when I met this couple there, and they said God led them to leave the church they were at. They, it wasn't a church fuss anyway. They said it was time to go somewhere else, call some other things. They had a whole list of churches that they were going to go down and check off. They got to the first one. And they felt the word of God being proclaimed. They felt the fellowship. They saw the mission opportunity. And guess what? They didn't visit another church. They said, we found there. And this is, it, was the pastor involved? Yes, he was. But more than that was the ministry of the church, the direction they're going. And so, Alex, I believe exactly what you just said. Yeah. The preacher is not paid to grow the church. But I, I will say this, the pastor is called to feed the flock of God. Yeah. And if you're if the pastor's not feeding the flock of God in the word of God, uh he's he may be visiting you well. Uh he may be a great organizer. But if I'm a member of a church, when I go, I want to be fed. Now, I'm not talking about dynamic. I am not talking about, you know, old school, new school. I'm not talking about conversational or rhetoric. I am talking about, is, am he feeding me the word of God with his personality? It doesn't matter. With uh, how he does it, his outlines, it doesn't matter. I need to be fed the word of God. Yeah. Well, amen. Amen. I was uh, watching a program some, oh, I don't know. This is easily a decade ago. But um, it was Charles Stanley's church, and he was saying, how did, if if you're a member here and you've been saved and baptized, you're a member of, of First Baptist Atlanta, how did you get here? And, uh, you know, I mean, there were one or two who had seen a television show. But the point is the vast majority, 90-some percent, said I was brought here by a family or friend. Some people were born into it, grew up in the church, but many of the people were invited by a friend. Now, the reason I say that is, folks, we're living in a time, every one of you that's a part of a church, 
everybody's wondering about how's my church going to grow and post-COVID, are people going to come to church? You don't need big budget. It doesn't matter if you're big city, rural, urban, wherever you are. You can befriend people and invite people to church. And the greatest evangelistic tool any church has, greatest outreach tool, obviously, the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel. But the the tool for outreach is relationships. I mean, I'm here today because I got invited to a Monday night Bible study 30-something years ago, and I got saved, and, you know, here we are. So Galatians is talking about that. Uh, I love verse 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing or doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not faint or lose heart or give up. By the way, this wording is very similar to Luke's uh, wording in Luke 18, 1, that we should always pray and not faint or or lose heart or give up. Um Hey, if you're doing good and you're waiting on the Lord for something, keep on keeping on. Uh, You're going to reap. Those seeds you've sown will bear fruit. Just be patient. Don't give up. At strategic times in the book of Acts, Paul was discouraged, you know, in prison sometimes. Guess at those times is when God sent his messenger, either a person, because, you know, they, they, the church at Philippi, would send the guy and he would talk to him and say, here, we've brought this. God at strategic times in our lives brings a message or a messenger from God to encourage you that you cannot faint again. With that in mind, I think you got to go back to chapter five, verse one, and then chapter five, uh, when it talks about it in verse 16, stand firm and then walk in the faith. If you'll do that, you won't faint. You'll stay in, in what God wants you. Hey, we're going to take phone calls. What's that number, Alex? The number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. When we come back, we'll open up the phones for your Bible questions on this edition of Exploring the Word. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation Thank you for standing with us. God can use persecution to strengthen the church and individuals within it. Persecution is granted to us. Don't miss this. What an honor to be chosen to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to die like the thief beside him, so that men enslaved to sin can see the gospel written in our flesh and believe. Gain more perspective on persecution with Jordan Shambly's article, The Victorious Persecuted Church, in the Fall 21 issue of Engage Magazine, or visit EngageMagazine.net. We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith, Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God the enemies of your family. And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially and to respond to our calls for activism. 
What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. And may he give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The FDA is now warning the public that prenatal screening tests are often wrong. The FDA said it is providing this warning to educate patients and healthcare providers to help reduce the inappropriate use of NIPS tests. The FDA's Dr. Jeff Shuren added, while genetic non-invasive prenatal screening tests are widely used today, these tests have not been reviewed by the FDA and may be making claims about their performance and use that are not based in sound science. How many people have made irreversible decisions concerning their unborn children based on these unreliable prenatal screenings? Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex here with you, and we'll be taking your phone calls. We're uh, experiencing a little bit of time delay, but don't give up on us. Uh, if you need to make that call, 888-589-8840. Alex, again, um, in all the things you do, one of the greatest things that you do, you do the children, the youth, uh, you know, each summer with mm-hmm. the tr- Truth for a New Generation Camp, basically. Yeah. But we- you're also at the Cove. How many years have you been at the Cove? Oh, Bert, I'm so blessed. This will probably be my 16th summer at the Cove, the <laughs> Billy Graham Training Center. And wow. What, what an honor. It is. It, it, uh, today, let me bring us up. We were talking about ministries. We talked about uh, AFR and the transition that – uh, AFR has made Don leadership, Tim, and yeah. it being smooth. Uh, the same thing could be said about the Billy Graham Association oh, transition. And Franklin Graham is yes. so wonderful. And, and isn't it awesome to, yeah. to know that when that happens, what a blessing it is. Well, you know what? Uh, there's Dr. Don Wildman. There's Tim Wildman. There's Walker and Wesley. Well, you know what? In the Billy Graham uh, ministry, of course, Billy Graham and his wife Ruth Graham were beloved Christian figures. Well, Franklin has so wonderfully led Samaritan's Purse and BGEA. Well, the Cove, the executive director of the Cove, is Will Graham, very good friend of mine, amazing preacher of the gospel. Will Graham is Franklin's son. And, uh, you know, when I was looking at three and really four generations of Wildmans were here today, I think about it, BGEA, there's been you know, three generations of Grahams. But yeah, folks, by the way, July 8 through 10, which is not that far away, I would be very pleased if you would join us at The Cove. Now, the website is thecove, thecove.org. I'll be there uh, July 8 through 10. And this summer, we're going to do First Peter, the New Testament oh, book of First Peter, which deals a lot with how to defend the Christian faith. And it's very applicable applicable to today. Oh, my I goodness. I mean, First Peter is just right on with 2022. Oh, I, yes. And uh, so I'd love for you to be there, folks. And uh, if you go to the Cove website and put in my name in the the information bar, you know, uh, we'd love to have you there. The, now the dates? Uh, July 8th through 10. 
The food is amazing. The accommodations are amazing. The the North Carolina mountains, you get up there and see the sunrise, and I'll tell you, you'll feel the presence of the Lord. So uh, that'd be a great thing if you could come there. But hey, folks, uh, 888-589-8840, this is Exploring the Word. And uh, Bert, you want to go to some calls? Yeah, you got them, or you want uh, me to do it? You l- let to. me see if I can do that. I might need you if I can't figure this out, but... You did it. How about Marty in Mississippi? Marty, are you there? Uh, yes, sir. Thank you guys for taking my call. Good to uh, have I you. I believe I talked talk to you a few months ago about this question I had about um, uh, a pastor being a part of a Masonic Lodge. Um, I'm having several people in my congregation asking me about this and um from what i understand there's no compatibility between the pastor being a part of the lodge and christianity and i'm getting a lot of people in the congregation that are asking and are concerned about this uh how would you approach your pastor about about this alex when i hear that the first thing that comes to my mind is what paul said regardless, uh, you and I both talked about the Masonic order and its origins and a lot of the difficulties and its incompatibility with New Testament, you know, Christian life and living. We've talked about that. Even with that, that might not register. I would approach it what Paul did in Corinthians. If eating meat offends you, I'll eat no meat. Being a part of an organization that is completely voluntary uh, that would be, I would approach him and say, listen, brother, your, your fellowship and your organi- being organized with the Masonic order is causing a lot of difficulty in the fellowship we're living in. It's not just me. You, know, you don't want to go and name names about those people. That's their responsibility to go. But you would be ab- able to say that and say, listen, it would be according to what Paul said in the book of Corinthians, I want you to pray about whether or not uh, you should be a part of that because it is offending yeah. some of those uh, 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 people that's in your church. Besides it being, and if they want to more, be more direct than that, they I think they could put some issues there that it shows if you look at it. Well, and, and let me just say this, and, and you'll have to pray and, um, you know, be led by the Lord as you uh, bring this issue to light in the church. When I was in graduate school, uh, I did a, about three or four years of study. I interviewed some Masons and some ex-Masons. I wrote a couple of papers because um, this particular church where I was a youth pastor had a thing, and it really split the deacons. Uh, let, let me just say, folks, I know there are a lot of people that are in Masonry that um, – profess Christ, and and I'm not disputing that, but the Masonic rituals are definitely pagan in their origin. You have to memorize a lot of things that are just ungodly, and I know, I mean, I studied this in depth, but the thing I would say about a pastor, besides the spiritual implications, which are overwhelmingly negative, how would you have time? I mean, if, if you're being a pastor, if you're pastoring like you're supposed to, you ain't going to have time to be off doing some foolishness like the Masonic Lodge. So anyway, brother, I pray God will give you wisdom as you address that situation. Hey, let's go to Malcolm in Tennessee. Do you see that? In uh, okay. Let's go to him. Malcolm in Tennessee. Thank you for holding. Are you there? Yes, I'm, I'm here. Yes. Uh, well, we're glad you're on. 
Well, I enjoy your I enjoy your program. I want I've got a question about Titus too. Okay. Uh, we just don't hear many sermons on that scripture uh, anymore. Do you do you hear sermons on that? Um, well, uh, there's a lot of wonderful meat in there. Um, teaching what is appropriate, sound doctrine. What specifically from Titus 2, uh, uh, Malcolm, do you reference? Uh, the uh, place where the younger uh, mothers should... Oh, um, I got you. That verse 4. Um, the older women uh, should be reverent, not slanderers, not addicted to wine, teach what is good, urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. Bert, I, I'll grant you, I don't know when I've ever heard that preached. Well, guess what? If you preach expositorily and you don't skip it, you will. Yeah, you'll get there. Yeah, I did. And do you ha- how do you handle it? Well, you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, a lot of it's talking about the woman working outside the home. That's yeah. a lot of that people are talking about. And that's was with, with me when they adopted me. And I said, that's the choice that the mother uh, has to make. But with all my heart, I believe the priority that God puts on the mother is home. Now, it doesn't mean the other things are not important. She can be, but the home. And I know that is against society today, Alex, but that's probably the issue. And, yeah. uh, but you can do it. Uh, I, you don't want to do it and condemn women yeah. that are working. Yeah. Those mothers that are working, but I, you know, priority, you, you have to have priorities in your life. You really do. Let me recommend and the priority the here is home, isn't it? Well, it, it really is. And this idea to be self-controlled, uh, oh my goodness. Uh, Titus two, five to be subject to their husbands. My goodness. In this day of, uh, empowerment and, self-willed um folks there's a word egalitarianism that everything must be equal whereas christianity is really what they call complementary complementarianism uh this idea i i think malcolm to your question why you don't hear this preached is because it goes against the women's liberation movement of the 70s that has really uh almost warped several generations of women uh, in their view of marriage and family. There's a book I want to recommend by Elizabeth Elliot. She was a great saint of God. Uh, she's in heaven now. It's, it's called Discipline, the Glad Surrender. Do you remember that book, Bert? I do. I, if, if she wrote it, it was good. good. It was good. <laughs> but, uh, Malcolm, we appreciate that. And, yeah, that's part of why, as a ministry, we exist. Because, look, marriage and family, friends, volumes of research documents this. And if you're a young woman and you're wondering, you know, how am I going to be fulfilled, have security, stability, um, prosper economically? Folks, volumes of research, secular research documents what I'm about to say. If you want emotional fulfillment, stability, good health, probably financial sustenance, prosperity, all those things you want for yourself, you know where you're going to find it? In the traditional nuclear family, a husband and a wife for a lifetime. 
Let me just share Ephesians chapter 5. I think goes along with that. It talks about wives submitting to your own husbands as to the Lord. But guess what the verse says before that? Submitting yourselves to one another. Oh, wow. You mean a, a man submitting to his wife? Uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. There's a lot of things that my wife Jan knows better than I do. Now, it doesn't take away from my responsibility of being the man and being the leader. But for her and me listen to her and make my decision based upon what she knows and me submitting to her is a wise thing. It's not an unwise thing. Yeah. And that's that, uh, you know, we work together. It's not, it's a complementary, right? Yeah. It's fitting together. What God is fitly joined together. And so I, I learned a long time ago, my wife knows a lot more about st some of the things than I know. And guess what's happened every time I've kind of gone on my own way, Alex? Mm. I paid the price. I should have listened to my wife. Wow. Wow. Well, Malcolm, thanks for uh, reminding us of Titus 2, which is a good scripture. Uh, there are a couple that I want to get, and people are on hold, so folks, just stay with us. We're going to do our best to get to you. Let's go to Bobby in Texas. Bobby, thanks for holding. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. My son and daughter-in-law and I were talking the other night, and we were talking about the one of the questions we have is that when Christ was back, when 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 Christ was on the cross and he died, where did his spirit go for those three days that he was in the tomb? Because my understanding is our spirit goes but our body goes into the grave, and then when Jesus returns, he joins that spirit with our new heavenly body. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong and tell me where was Jesus' spirit those three days. Okay. Yeah. There's a place of departing spirits. It had two segments in it. Those, a place of torment where Lazarus was, according to Luke chapter, uh, I mean, the, the rich, rich man, man yeah. according to Luke, Luke chapter 16. 16, and Lazarus was in a place referred to as Abraham's bosom or right. a place, of, place of comfort. According to what I've understood, Jesus went to that and preached to those saints that yeah. were, quote, Abraham's bosom and even led captivity captive back to heaven. Let, let me give a reading assignment. Psalm 68, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. Psalm 68, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, let me summarize what happened, and it's a great question, Bobby. When the Lord uh, was on the cross, and he yielded up his spirit, and he died, um, what happened from the death on the cross to the resurrection that first Sunday morning? Well, I think for one thing, Bert, the, the spirit of Jesus appeared before the Father, saying the debt is paid, um, the atonement has been achieved, uh, and the Father affirmed the work the Son had done. But you're right. Um, Jesus went into the realm of the dead. Psalm 68 says Jesus would go and he would lead captivity captive. Then he appeared in um, Sheol, the grave. All right, one part of the realm of the dead was Hades, torment for the unbelievers. One part was paradise, Abraham's bosom. There was a proclamation for the believing saints of old that were captive, that were in the realm of saved spirits. They were led to heaven. He led the captives captive. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, where it says, you know, he gave gifts to men, the spiritual gifts, and ultimately 
the Holy Spirit would be poured out when the church was birthed at Pentecost. But I, I know it sounds like a lot going on from that death at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon to resurrection at dawn on Sunday morning. But he appeared before the Father to the the unsaved spirits in Hades. He It was a proclamation of condemnation. To the believing saints in paradise, it was a proclamation of salvation. And they were carried. You know, it says he spoiled the grave. In other words, he took those souls of those believing saints straight on up to heaven where they are to this moment, aren't they, Bert? Amen. And we will join them one day, either by death or by him coming back to receive us. Have time for one more quick one. Um, uh, w- which one do you want to go to, Bert? Beverly? Um, yeah, go ahead. Let, let's do something here because this sounds like a, a very important question. Beverly in North Carolina, welcome. Hey, thank you for taking my question. Yes. So, we all know the first commandment, and then as the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land with all the different ites, God is saying, do not bow down before gods or worship them or follow their practices or make any covenants. So a couple who is getting married and participating in a Hindu ceremony in the morning and then a Christian ceremony in the afternoon, is that Hindu ceremony being idolatrous? Well, let me ask you this. Um, uh, Apparently, one of the persons that are in this engagement professes to be a Christian, and the other one is a Hindu. Is that it? Well, supposedly now the one that was brought up in a Hindu family has converted and is now supposed to be a born-again Christian. Well, um, let, let me just say, I believe if you're a Christian, you've, you've got to build your, certainly from the get-go, build your marriage and home on Christianity. Um, I, I really don't see how a Christian could have a Hindu ceremony because Hinduism believes in 330 million gods. Christianity acknowledges there's one God, the risen Lord Jesus. They're, they're not compatible. Beverly, hope that helps. Hey, by the way, we're going to finish Galatians, and if we finish early, we may take phone calls early tomorrow. Yes, so we will. So be ready to do that. That'd be exciting. And uh, so, Alex, it's been good to be in the studio with you. Amen. Those of you that we didn't get to today, call tomorrow. We'll devote two-thirds of the show to calls tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Explore the Word. May God bless you.